Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It is Friday when this drops, and you already know what that means. I got my man, Josh. Cardboard Chronicles. Yes, Cardboard Chronicles is back. I was fortunate enough to be a part of the relaunch episode, and I said, let's keep this collab rolling. We talk about some collector-driven topics. Josh shares a big boy purchase he made and the reasons why. If you like what I'm doing over here, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying Stagging Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick into the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am excited to be joined by Josh. Josh has relaunched Cardboard Chronicles. I got a chance to be on last week to talk about my collecting. So I figured why not have a little bit of a collaboration, come back on my show. We're going to be talking about just collector content in general, what it means to be a collector. We're going to dive in. We're going to go all over the place. Josh, welcome back. How are you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to keep the conversation going. Yes, we. and I, I got a lot of comments. I think more people were excited about the channel being um, brought back to life than my performance, but that is okay. I think we'll be better for it. Have you lined up your next guest yet? No, this is like a very slow comeback. I didn't want to come. I didn't want to line up like 12 and, but I, I have a few that I've been thinking of and I've like soft DM them, you know, like not nothing official yet. Yeah, Maybe we could talk about that a little bit because I've never done it. So I go week to week when I book out the show and I have this moment each week where I'm trying to think like, it's a culmination of like topics that are relevant to the hobby or the conversation, I like think, okay, who is someone who can help support this? Or I think of like, oh, who's someone's collection that's been, I've been continuing to like, like and comment on. It's like this combination of factors. And then I'm finally to the point where I'm like, okay, I think I've got my guest for this week. So that's kind of how, how it works for me. Is it similar or different for you? Yeah, it's the same. Some people so, want to plan out like months for the interview. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in two months. You know, it's like, this is kind of topical for me now. I think I'd rather do it, you know, today. I think when I asked you, it was like yeah. do it today or tomorrow. No, you said today I was actually at my, I was at my parents' house because they were watching my daughter. And I was like, I could probably swing this. And I was like, just nah. tell him like maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fine. It was mostly just like a, just in case you're just sitting there like I am right now, we could do it now, but tomorrow's fine. So we're we're going to talk about a card that you just bought. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about like you bringing back Cardboard Chronicles to life. Um, what what was your like reason? Like what what made you be like, I want to I know you do the crossover every Friday with Chris and Christina's makes her appearances, which is something that the hobby consumes on a regular basis. But what was it about bringing Cardboard Chronicles back to life that made you made you get going on it? Yeah, I mean, like we talked about, I I just think there's not enough collector content out there on the internet. And I just, Chris and I were talking about how, you know, we almost have like this obligation to to talk about collector topics a lot on the crossover. 
And then I just thought, you know, it would be nice to be able to contribute more if I could by bringing on other people and not just, you know, my, talking about my own collection or my own opinions over and over. Because I try to bring on guests who I feel, you know, align with the whole collector mindset. But then within that, they have different, you know, different collections or players or ways they approach it. So I just thought it would be nice to, you know, feature more people in the hobby that they kind of think that way. No doubt. And I think I was like, trying to think about this a little bit. And I have the same desire, right? There's a lot of content in the hobby. Um, people create content to service a bunch of different needs. It seems like a majority of the needs right now, or I don't know if they're needs, but a majority of the coverage is regarding like, you know, the the price, the market, um, that sort of thing, which I think is, is, is good. It's fine in small doses, but I'm more interested in what I'm trying to do here on the show is just bring kind of a collector conversation to life and highlight that. I think like a question for you that I'd love, I'm sure there's different interpretations, but I've been using the word collector content a lot in what I've been talking about, but I have to kind of take a step back to be like, what does that even mean? <laughs> so mm-hmm. what, what, like, what's your interpretation or to you, like, what is, what is collector content? And like, maybe why does it differ from some of what we're used to seeing? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you think about just, how on the surface, just how weird it is that we all collectively are in this community of people that spend a good majority of our income on, you know, pieces of cardboard with pictures of athletes on them and characters. That in itself is just like such an interesting thing that I just kind of want to explore that part of it and explore like why we do this thing, this weird thing. What is it about maybe the nostalgia of the cards and the connection to the players? And the sort of desire to obtain specific pieces. So kind of just all of that, you know, encompassed into one topic as a collector, because if you watch content and you know, like you said, there's nothing wrong with the content that's not collectors. It's more just the, a factor of like, we think there's not enough of this. So we're trying to fill the gap. It's not that we think the other stuff is bad. Um, but when I watch some of the other content, you know, the, the market content or like the card show content. I just don't get the vibe that the people in those videos really want to like acquire these pieces and keep them. It's more of like, it's moving through them. And so I'm just not as interested in that because I don't think there's any emotional connection to the card. And it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't strike me. It doesn't, you know, I, I don't, I can't really relate to that. It's not why I do it. And so if I can explore through content, the reasoning of why we collect, I think that's what's most interesting to me. Based on your last like go around at Cardboard Chronicles, and I don't know if you had the intention of like exploring the same thing that you're interested in exploring now. Was was there any like themes or things that surfaced from those like first batches that kind of helped answer some of the some of that question for you and like motivated you to know that like, okay, I'm not the only person out here who's doing it because I want to keep these pieces. Like what are some of the things just based on your first go around that you learned? Yeah. If if you watch the episodes, I think like 95% of them start out with, I collected when I was a kid, I stopped when I went to college and now I'm back because I have money. So I think that's kind of the, the primary reason. And when uh, we started on the crossover, we started talking about like, why is the market booming in 2021? And everyone wanted to point to the pandemic, but I just kept saying and pounding the table, like, I really think it has to do more with the initial 
buildup that we've been having over these last few years around that sort of persona, that person. And we just kept getting more and more of those people that got a little bit older over time and had more and more money. And then we saw the Pokemon people come in and then we saw, you know, all these other segments pop up because they were becoming of age to when they collected in the late nineties or the early two thousands. And we just kept seeing this recycle. And to me, you know, the pandemic was more of just like, you know, grease on the fire and the fire was already burning. We already had this pretty decent buildup for what was coming. And so the theme for me was just around like the nostalgia and, you know, people wanting to kind of do something simpler, you know, because our lives are so busy. We've got families now, we've got jobs and all this stressful stuff and cards are just, they're just so simple. Right. And they just like, that's all we did when we were kids, a lot of us. And we just, you know, as humans, we want to connect to simpler times of being kids and how much simpler could it be? Buy card, hold card, look at card. You know, it's just, it's such a simple concept. We're not, we're not curing cancer here. No. And you uh, said something that was, I wanted to talk, it was, you kind of teed it up for me. I wanted to talk about this, but for a lot of us, we are busy professionals. Most of us outside of the hobby, I know you're a professional inside the hobby, which is unique, but most of them are outside of the hobby. We have obligations. We have family. Um, We're constantly busy and we venture into the hobby as an escape from all of the madness, right? And we go explore the cards that we want, connecting with players and people in the community. And we buy these cards and we appreciate them. And then they sit in our case and we pull them out when we need them. And to me, like based on me watching Cardboard Chronicles, based on me meeting people in the hobby, we're not the only two people that are like this. There is a lot of people like this. However, it doesn't seem like any of the content that's being created for the most part is being tailored to the, mm-hmm. these individuals. So I don't know, is that part of the reason like you being like, all right, well, I, I'm kind of in, the, I'm in this lane, so I might as well bring it back to life so I can at least meet some people and then share some stories with other people who are like me as a collector. Definitely. I mean, the, when you're describing all that, the thing I thought of was the sort of pattern that I go through. And I'm sure you do the same where, you know, you, you have, you get money from your day job or you build up money and then you set aside some for, you know, bills and savings, 401k, whatever boring stuff. And then you usually have some left over and, you know, we're just, what do I, what do we buy? What do we want to do? And that's my favorite moment in the hobby is like, I have this money the unknown of what I'm going to buy next, what I'm going to research, you know, how I'm going to allocate this money. Do I want to bundle this money with other cards to get a better card? There's all these different possibilities of what it could be. And the current content is like, how do I take this money and make it more money? Right. The difference being make this money more money versus make this money cards. And so I guess maybe that's the distinction of the collector investor to a certain extent. Um, and so just that whole process. Like if you've been on Cardboard Chronicles, you usually think of that flow. Like, how do I end up with a card from you know the work I've done in outside the hobby? I don't know. I'm just rambling. No, there's a lot of people though that, uh, and me, me included. Today is the 31st, so it's payday for me and my day job. What's the first thing I thought about? <laughs> Should like I save tithing. this? Yeah. yeah. Should I save this money? Should I wait? Yeah. But. I don't know. It's just it's crazy to me that, and I don't know. You're you're like in the business of the hobby, 
But it's crazy to me that I, and I'm not like trying to like cast blame on anyone. It is what it is. And like investment type content and the flipping stuff, that's become what's been popular and mainstream in the hobby. And it just seems like if I were to say just like big business in the hobby, it seems like a lot of the businesses are catering to, to that. When I take a step back and think of my own self and think about the people I know, it's like people like are saving their money to buy cards at these auction houses are waiting for these cards to pop up on Instagram. Like there's a lot of what keeps the hobby moving in the collector persona who's busy, who has a family, who's waiting for their paycheck so they can spend money on cards. It just kind of seems wild to me that there's more business in the hobby that's not like centered around communicating mm-hmm. and messaging directly to the collector. Yeah. I guess, you know, what what does that look like though? You know, because I it usually boils down the marketing and stuff usually boils down to like what the tool does and sort of the X's and O's of buying and selling Mm. and stuff. But I feel like most of the auction houses really cater to the seller. And Mm. I get that, you know, in order to keep their business going, they kind of have to keep people selling through them. That's their cycle, right? That's how they make money. So I get that. Um, But I think, you know, it would be cool to see some marketing around buying and building collections it is even that terminology that's kind of i think that's our main slogan on our site is like build a better collection with better insights so the tool itself is about the data and researching and you could easily you know see that tool and think oh this is just for flipping and you know making money but the actual underlying you know uh, statement that we've made is this is to help you build your collection and so yeah i guess you know it'd be nice to see more content but also like to your point more businesses kind of marketed towards collectors i don't know what that looks like in terms of the success of those businesses um i you and i both know the success of the hobby long term is really grounded in people at least some subset of the people actually collecting this stuff because if there's no one collecting it it's literally a ponzi scheme you know it's it is a ponzi scheme if you're not collecting it because if you're not collecting it and trying to keep it and acquire it then you're just moving it around to people and you're just hoping that the next guy pays more than you. And all of a sudden you've got this like Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme thing going on. So you definitely have to have at least some level of collecting and people that actually enjoy it. So I would think the businesses would want to market towards that to, you know, sustain themselves long-term. We've, se- we, we've seen the Ponzi scheme or Ponzi scheme adjacent and other collectible segments. So we, we that, that's what gives me confidence around the hobby though, is because I just know that there's, People who live like there are, which I I wish I could do this, dude. I wish I could go out and buy any card I want and stash it away and never even have to think about selling something because I had so much money coming in. I wish I could do that, but unfortunately, like I'm not the one percent who's able to do that. So I don't know. I have confidence. I just feel like um, at the heart of the hobby and in the fabric that makes the hobby stand tall there is this large group of people that don't even think about the like i'm buying this to sell for a profit a year from now mm. they just they it's the nostalgia it's the escape it's the it's the ownership um i just feel like there's a strong community out there and i just feel like the more people that are speaking directly to those people or creating content for them i just it just feels like it's it's good for the hobby as a whole in the long run yeah. Yeah. And people have probably said this to you as well, but you know, the, the idea that we never like a collector, someone that never sells also isn't true. There's definitely some 
you know, variable of how often do you sell to upgrade or you're reselling to, you know, maybe uh, like there was like, you know, the LeBron, when I sold that, it was, it was to like, um, to be in, to be able to play with house money for the rest of my collecting days. It's like, I can set aside this money, everything I've spent in the past and in the future, I can sort of just say like, here, I've set that money aside. And now I'm just sort of doing this for fun and for free almost, you know? So there's definitely some other incentives to be able to want to sell your cards and then continue on your collecting journey. There's some psychology that goes along with that, especially on your end with that LeBron sale, where in having conversations with you and getting to know you, like you bought that card because like, obviously of its significance. And you probably thought like the price on that was nice. The time you bought it based on where you thought it was going and like there's like a community of LeBron collectors with that card. But like in asking you questions about this that card, it wasn't necessarily like your favorite LeBron card you had. So like at some level, like you saw an opportunity to say like, I like this card, but I don't love it. So I might as well cash out on it. And then on the other side, like be up and play with house money to get the other cards that I want for the foreseeable future. Is that sum it up at all? Yeah. I mean, when I bought it, the thought process was like, I like it enough, but the main reason I bought it was like, it's kind of one of those things that you wanted to be a part of this club of people that have owned that card. And as a LeBron collector, it was important to me to be able to say that I at least like went for it at one point, or at least had it or got close to having it. And, you know, that's kind of like vain or whatever, but I mean, that's kind of part of collecting is like, you're doing this to kind of show off to a certain extent. It's, otherwise it would it wouldn't be as nearly as much fun if you just kind of kept it all to yourself and didn't, you know, tell anyone, well, I know those guys that do that, but you know, part of the reason I collect is to kind of show off and have fun with that aspect of it. So to acquire that card, you know, it was important to me, but then to your point, like once the price, I, I didn't buy it thinking like, Oh, this thing's going to, you know, five X in a couple of years. I never thought that ever. That just, I, I can't predict the future. We had, it's easy to say it now. Like, Oh yeah, great time to buy. Well, of course, cause it went up. Um, but then the, when the price reached a certain amount, I was like, all right, it doesn't really make any sense anymore for me to like be in this club and I've owned it already. I've already, you know, I, I reached the mountaintop. Now it's time to like come down from the mountain. It doesn't, it didn't, it wasn't something that I felt I needed to keep forever with some of the other cards. Um, I would never move, you know, I, there's, there's definitely a layer of cards I would never move. And that one was never quite in that, that group. So you, you, you say you came down off the mountain, but I don't think you're like all the way down <laughs> based on some of the buys you made. And you, so you just, you just made a buy. Um, you picked up a new card that is certainly significant. And I think the thing that like, in reading your post was the most interesting about that card, not only, and I'm going to have you like, talk about what the card is and why you bought it. But the thing that stood out to me was the fact that it had zero public sales in the last six years. And yeah. when I, when I see something like that on a card that I want, if I'm re researching and investigating, that makes me want it even more. So maybe like first share the card, uh, why you bought it and why it's important to you. And then I'm going to probably ask you some further questions on it. Sure. So it's the 2008 uh, Exquisite Limited Logos LeBron, and these are numbered to 23. And um, the reason I wanted it is just because like, I haven't found it. It's like I just it never comes up for sale. A lot of his exquisite stuff I've seen over the years. I've seen multiple copies sell. This is just for whatever reason. This is the one that's never sold. And there's 23 of them. And his RPA rookie at a 99 
I mean, you've probably noticed that thing sells every month. It feels like I, there's probably been like 30 sales of that card since the last sale of this one, maybe more public. And there's only, there's, you know, a quarter of the number of copies and it's sold, you know, 0% of the time relative to the other, to the uh, RPA. So it's like, why is that happening? And that's because that's, this card is just more scarce. You know, the rarity is a quarter of the rarity, but the scarcity is much higher because, you know, it's a, it's a, a cheaper card. So people aren't as willing to like move it at the price range that it's at. And it's more of like a, a, you know, a collector card that's hunted. And then once you get it, you don't want to let it go. Whereas the RPA is kind of this more, you know, hybrid investor collector type card. And, uh, you know, the price was super high. And I really, really wanted it. And I thought this is probably my only chance. And the other thing is that I've seen a few other copies. Um, I've seen a few with fake patches. I've seen one with like a giant like Cleveland C patch. There's no way that's real. And it's all like folded and it looks like someone wedged it in. And then I've seen a couple where the auto is really bad and faded or streaky. And this auto was perfect. So it was like, you know, I kept telling myself, like, if you want this card, you know, suck it up and buy it. This is it, you know? And so bought it overpaid probably i'm not sure if i overpaid or whatever but uh yeah i gotta ask this question was it is, is was the i know you're a gold guy was the gold was the gold foil on that did that that do anything for you was that like yeah, oh that's that's real nice i want that that makes me happy i want that in my pc yeah i'm all about aesthetics i'm extremely picky uh like i don't even post story posts anymore of like looking for lebron because every card that people send me is like, no, that's not the one I want. You know, it's like, they're like, but what do you mean? You said you wanted a high end LeBron. This is it. Like, yeah, but it's not the exact one that I want. You know, I'm super picky. And this, this exquisite LeBron limited logos is probably, you know, in my top two or three favorite looking exquisite cards. Um, so I'm, you know, I've basically narrowed it down to exquisite or gold as like my two favorite aesthetic cards that he has. And this is like in the upper tier within exquisite of my favorite looking ones. So that kind of fits the bill. Did, did your Chris Paul collecting have influence o- over you? Like, so, so like at a much smaller scale now, and I talked about this on cardboard Chronicles where I'm, I'm collecting all of and two literally just came before uh, we started, but I'm trying to collect every gold finest Philip rivers card and by mm-hmm. doing this, I get the cards and it makes me want the Peyton Manning even more like I mm-hmm. because I can't get it. And so, like, I'm curious as like, I know you picked up a shit ton of awesome Chris Paul exquisite cards from his career. Did that by like, going through that collecting process, did that influence you in wanting this LeBron or have nothing to do with it? It was probably the other way around where. You know, buying a card like this of LeBron takes like a year of my effort and energy to be able to get something like that. You know, because I'm like you, I'm not, uh, I'm not a million, a billionaire, so it's like it's hard to just sort of continuously buy that stuff. But with Chris Paul, I could sort of get all the stuff that I've always wanted of LeBron in the same set, and it's like the only difference is the player on it. Um, and so that was kind of more the thought process there was. I like Chris Paul eighty percent as much as I like LeBron, but the value of the cards is like five percent. So it just kind of like, you know, it just kind of makes sense to be able to want to pick some of the stuff up. But as we know, in the hobby, the feeling you get of that, like a top end player or set or whatever, it's very exponential. You know, like I get way more joy out of buying the super high end LeBron than I, you know, do on the, on the Chris Paul. So like there is sort of that balance of, I don't have infinite money, but I really like having the super high end and I want the best, you know, so. 
was this card on your list? Like your like these are the cards I want. Was was this a part number one on the list? Number one. Yeah. So some, like people kind of know in passing. I have like a number one penny card right now. I have a number one LeBron. That was it. Um, I have a number one penny, which is a one on one. So I, I don't really like talk about it. Um, and then I have another like a lower tier, like more realistic penny hardaway that I want. So people like kind of know generally like which cards I'm after specifically. And that one has been on my list for long enough, but I don't I don't talk about wanting that card every day. So you know, you kind of have to pick up on it, you know, the once a month I might bring it up casually when someone asks. So when you have a card that hasn't sold publicly in six years, this, that's number one on your list. Like what's, what's, how'd you get it? Like, what's this, what's the story? I mean, you just kind of get lucky, man. So like, I just brought it up to a friend, like, God, I'm getting annoyed that I don't have that card yet. Just kind of random. Cause we were talking about exquisite. And then he's like, you know what? Let me ask my buddy. I haven't asked him about it in a while. Maybe he's found one. He asked his friend, his friend was like, yeah, I know a guy that has one. Let me see if he'd sell it now. It's been a, been a few months. Asked him. He just happened to need money for something else. And it just kind of happened that way. So it was like a friend of a friend of a friend. I think we get so caught up in our heads sometimes and about like cards and them being unattainable. And I'm certainly guilty of this. But sometimes all you need to do is hit your network and start sourcing people. And I feel like that's the measuring stick of like, if you really, really want it, you'll be proactive and start asking people. And then I guess on the flip side of that, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, is like when you do ask people and then there is that moment when you get that DM and someone says, yep, I've got it. Or yep, I know I've got it. At the price, like at that point, it's like, especially if you're, it's your only crack at it, like you're at the mercy of the seller, right? Like it's like, either I'm going to pay whatever they want right now, or I've got to be cool with probably never getting a chance to own this card again. Yeah. You definitely got to be willing to walk away. And I guess you just kind of hope that the first number out of their mouth isn't insane. And when it's not insane, you're like, okay, well that's more than I wanted, but you know, at least I can, at least we can negotiate a little bit, or at least I can survive, you know, having buying this thing, I guess. And the first number out of his mouth was like, not, totally insane but i was like god i knew i kind of knew he was going to say that number so on the other side of this lebron purchase are you satisfied or does it make you want to go out and venture in getting more lebron cards off your off your list or maybe since you've just bought a new lebron card maybe it's go satisfied some of the other pc lanes that you have yeah i think it's that i take a little bit of a break actively pursuing if something comes across me that is on like a secret silent list that I don't necessarily obsess over, you know, I might go after it if it comes my way. But um, I think the the biggest thing is after you spend this much for me, at least is uh, I kind of take a break, you know, frantically pursuing stuff until I get, you know, either that next payday or, or, you know, I happen to sell something because there's a good deal or whatever. It just, I don't really like, I have a list and I plan it out, but I don't really you know, obsess over like a five-year plan or anything. It's kind of just kind of just go where the wind takes me, especially in this hobby, because as you know, stuff comes up so rare a lot of times that you don't really get to decide the order and the path in which you go down. So with with your um LeBron collection, is it you've identified products in this conversation and traits of cards that you really appreciate and admire, like exquisite stuff, you like gold stuff. Are you, const- are you constantly um, trying to 
like build out your collection in those areas um or does something is something new come up that you didn't even think about that mm. might throw you off and you go pursue that like talk to me a little bit about like the cycle of your LeBron. I know it's never ending but like how do you manage kind of everything you're doing when it comes to your LeBron PC yeah I mean sometimes there's like a you know a desire to continuously buy stuff and have those mail days um and with that sometimes i'll venture away from sort of the core and i'll buy something random or i'll buy something that's like you know deep down i know it's not really core to my collection but i really want it today and i have the money and whatever uh but usually like i end up selling that stuff usually down the road like i just i maybe like get bored of it or whatever or i just sort of have an opportunity to sell it and upgrade to something that is in the core of my pc so like i usually hit these little checkpoints and i'm kind of at one now where everything in my pc now that i look at it is basically that core and i don't have any fluff left over because i've sold it or i've traded it so it's kind of like you know you know when you're in college you you want to travel and see new parts of the world but then eventually you just kind of come back to home and you know you end up living in your home state kind of scenario. And I guess this is maybe that. Yeah. Uh, so on the f- no fluff, the no fluff, what, what happens? Do you already have like a con- contingency plan? If like that LeBron card comes up, that is something that you've been after forever. That's not the limited logos that you just bought that it, do you have a like plan to say, okay, well, if this card comes up, these card, this is the next one on the list that has to go. Do you think like that at all as a collector? Yeah. I don't, if something really expensive came up, I'd kind of be screwed right now. So <laughs> put that karma out to not bring something on that list to me right now. Cause I'm not ready. Cause I, would you know, it's be, coming, you know, it's know. coming. <laughs> Cause you know, there's like, I have enough cards where I could easily make it happen. I could move stuff, you know, I could make it happen. I could take a loss on some stuff, sell it quick and, and get that card. But man, it's really hard to part with, with a, you know, like a really core PC, which is where I'm at and not having fluff. It's really, really hard. And I just, I don't really want to do it. It depends on how rare, I guess it is like this one, you know, this is at a 99. Um, Mm. So this is maybe one, but like, I don't know. I'm just, I wouldn't be in a hurry to sell that. I just can't, I also can't even call really it out. Anything. Call it out for people who are listening. Oh, sorry. 2004 tops Chrome gold and it's a PSA nine. Uh, and there's, there's 99 copies of these. So like if a, you know, finest gold that I don't have, that's out of 25 or a lower number that might make sense to kind of make that swap. But other than that's a pretty specific scenario. Hey, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get nerdy over here. Are you, are you, you prefer finest over Chrome? Um, not really. It's pretty equal. I think I like Chrome and Finest the same, and then Bowman has stepped down. But but you're you're like those over over Prism all day for you, right? Yeah, I, I don't have a single LeBron Panini card in my collection right now. It's not that I don't like Panini. Uh, oh, kind of. I kind of don't. It's it's just that like I just get this feeling from all Panini cards that they're kind of all the same. Uh, like they kind of all have the same vibe to me and it's just, it's more like modern looking and a little bit more, it feels more like man-made versus some of these old ones are kind of feel more designy and <clears throat> more nostalgic, I guess. So I don't know. I don't know if that helps describe my feelings on Panini. It's kind of, it's kind of just more like an emotional internal thing. How big of a factor does the, you, the fact that when you were probably a kid buying basketball cards, you were buying Chrome, does that have any factor yeah. than nostalgia? I told you 
I think I said this to you, right? The the logo yes. of Finest just kind of does something. And Panini <laughs> doesn't do that for me. Cause it's like I remember seeing that logo on packs at the mall. I remember seeing the, you know, when they used to, and they still do this, but they, you know, they open the box and then they sort of put the little back piece up and you can see the logo and the branding and how, you know, the pack odds and how many pack, cards per pack and all that stuff. And you'd see the foil just sort of sitting on there of the packs. And I just have such a nostalgic connection to that feeling and, and those logos that I saw on the shelves at Target and the malls and stuff that when I see Panini, it just kind of feels, it kind of reminds me more of like the flipper mentality and the Luca PSA 10 stuff. That's just yeah. the connection it makes for me. And I'm just like, eh. The, I'll tell you what, I don't watch much breaker content. Sometimes I'll like get in a rabbit hole and the breakers who do set up their boxes, like that's, those are the professionals to me. They like put the mm. like old school style and grab it pack by pack. I'm like, okay, if you're doing that shit, I'm probably more inclined to watch it than just like rip down a bunch of packs and line them all up and then just toss the cards. But, <laughs> but even the breaking, it just feels like so unemotional. It just feels like you're watching gambling or you're watching some poker game and they're just sort of ripping through stuff. A lot of times they don't know what they're opening or the players' names, and it just feels very like I just have no connection to that versus the stuff that you know was made in the early two thousands, late nineties. I just have so much more of a you know emotional you know connection to that stuff because of like I said the branding and you know the reminders of how it's acquired, pulling it from packs that were worth five bucks, kids pulling these packs, getting lost in over time. Whereas today it's like you know it's all about the hits, find the hits, and you grade it, and you sell it, and you flip it, just. I just don't have any like interest in that kind of stuff. I'm curious to know back to the kind of rounding it out back to like the content conversation for you, like as a guy who's collected, um, been back in the hobby for a while, collected, built a product for the hobby currently works in the hobby wants to consume content, but kind of doesn't feel like there's a lot of content out there that is for you or for the collector. And that's part of the reason why you're kind of bringing cardboard chronicles back. What are the things that like you would look, you're looking for, like in like collectors are looking for just in content in general, like what would cause you to tune in or, or listen in to, to a show? What are the things that you'd, you'd like to see or hear? Well, honestly, I could just probably go down the line of on Spotify through your episodes and read out the type, the titles. It's really the topics, right? It's the, the topics that you hit on, you know, the collector focused content and sort of the sharing and the community, all those types of buzzwords are like what I'm keying in on for content. And then, you know, what I'm not looking for is like, you know, how I spent a thousand dollars and made it into 10,000 or this epic, you know, trade at the Dallas show. Um, those are kind of the other buzzwords. So it's really just like, I'm looking for some specific keywords in the title and I'm just parsing it kind of quickly. And it's usually just like the topic at hand, like this topic that we're talking about would interest me hearing someone talk about how, why they collect, you know, all this sort of stuff where all these rabbit holes were going down. These, these kinds of things interest me. And I, but I don't listen to my own show either. So like I need other people to make content. If I'm going to listen right. to content, I need your show. I need wax museum. I need nineties people. I need these other shows. Otherwise, you know, so my show isn't for me to listen to myself. It's for, it's for me to hopefully get, you know, someone else thinking, Hey, I should do something similar. I totally can relate to that. So collectors out there, if you have a desire to create content, go do it. We want to listen to you. Um, I've been Cajun, trying to do it. A- Cajun was the other one. Like he's a great example where he came in kind of recently. I love listening to that stuff. Yeah, I need to I need to give him some more time for sure. I've seen I've heard you guys um, talk about him on the crossover. Um, 
maybe we we close out with this. I'd love to know, and I'm trying to do a better job of this, asking people I'm talking with. If you were to like, if I were to ask you like, spotlight a few, it can be as many as you want, but just some collectors out there that like you're following their Instagram page. You love how they curate their collection. You love how they talk about cards. Who are some people on Instagram that you're following that you think deserve love and a shout out? Just trying to get more collectors to promote other collectors in the hobby. Yeah. This is a tough one because I don't want to leave anybody out. It's like I can't name enough to, you know, not leave somebody out. But um, I'm just going to go through my DMs and just read some of the guys that I chat with. And usually I only chat with people who, you know, I have uh, some sort of collector connection to. LJ Rookie Card Vault. I've interviewed him, Dustin. He collects LeBron. He just, I just like the way he approaches things. Uh, Patrick 8209 Sports Cards. I always get it wrong. 8209 Patrick. I like his but, page because you can just tell he cares and he's a collector, you know? Yeah. Plus, I know a lot of these guys by first name and I don't like memorize. Flippity Flip Cards. Uh, yes. Jesse, wide receiver collector. He just, the cards he picks up are like, if I was a pure wide receiver collector, he, <laughs> he buys what I would buy. Waldorf Stories Grant. Um, mm. Spur Fan at Tech. Justin 610 Sports Cards. These are some like guys that have been in the hobby for a long time that, you know, I always try to call out whenever I get the chance. Rodman, I love his stuff. He's like, he collects kind of the same stuff as me, but for Jordan instead. My, uh, I have a LeBron chat. There's a bunch of guys in there that R-P-R-Y-A-N-A. He's got awesome stuff. Ricky, uh, Ricky Priana. So his account's awesome. He's got exquisite LeBron and Jordan stuff. He, he collects a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm definitely going to leave people out. Gerald, Windy City Sports Cards. I love his PC. Champ Cards. He's got awesome LeBron stuff. It's kind of, you know, I'm just going to end up naming like LeBron collectors. That's just kind of the way it goes. So sorry to everybody else. If, if, uh, shout out to all those pages. I, I know a lot of them. Some I don't. So I'm definitely going to go check those out. They all probably have different cards and they probably all approach the hobby a little bit differently. But if you were to sum up like that group of people that you just shouted out, what would you say? Like, why, why, why does what they're doing resonate with you? Like, what are the, the qualities that they do yeah. that kind of sticks with you? It's all people that go through that flow that I described earlier where they build up money, they have money, and that money is going to go to cards. It's just a matter of like which ones. And then they keep them or they sell and trade them and get different ones. It's just like that to me, that whole flow, whatever that diagram looks like, if it's a circle or whatever, it's some sort of line, I don't know. But if you fit into that sort of drawing, usually that's the main connection for me is all those people do that that thing. And again, like, it's not to say I wouldn't be friends with someone that flips. I have friends that are flippers, but if we're going to be on this topic today, I think those are the ones that I would shout out. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for. It is. Whenever I think of flipper being said, I, no matter what, I always think of the damn dolphin always in my head. So <laughs> there's a lot of great like flipper content and like people on Instagram that I would, I could make that list and be like, Hey, here are the people that you know, in my opinion, flip the quote unquote right way, or they sort of approach it where, you know, they'll, they'll mix in the cards that they know a certain collector will want. And they'll like, make sure that their flip goes to that person. So there, there is like a a right way to flip in that you're like connecting the collections and you're sort of like this, uh, like you're an actual dealer. If you think about a dealer, their job is to, you know, if you think about it, uh, holistically and and how it should be a dealer's job is to sort of connect cards to collectors it's sort of become this like a dealer is its own little planet and their job is to like make themselves rich but for a long time it was 
how can I help connect all these dots? And then I, you know, I take my cut. This is sort of my regular job. I get paid a normal job, you know, amount. And now it's turned into like, as a dealer, I, I have to have a Corvette and I have to have a big house. Otherwise I'm terrible at this and I have to break and I have to make NFT projects. Otherwise, you know, I'm not doing this right. So there you go. There's half the hobby going to hate me after this interview. Oh man. No one has talked about that. That's a whole nother episode, but the, the strategy behind flipping the right way and how, dude, I always think about it from the perspective of like, you know, the traits of the really good flippers that I admire run parallel to people in software, the industry I'm in, like the enterprise sales guys and just the way they approach building relationships and knowing where stuff needs to go. So I think I'm with you. This, this episode was not to meant to put down any other segments. It was more to elevate the, the collector segment, but I do know that there are a lot of cool stuff happening in other other pockets. And well, let me, a, let me give you I, an I example. Go, yeah, go for it. Card collector two nine one. His name is Michael Kramer. I'm going to embarrass him for a little bit because you know I'm his friend, and that's how it goes. He's the one that connected me to this LeBron Limited logos, and I would consider him more of a collector than a flipper. But he is a damn good flipper. He's really really good at it. And he's so good at it that he's able to kind of build this massive collection that he's accrued uh, over the years. But he is, he just like treats the hobby in a way that he's very respectful of the people around him and he knows all the connections and he knows kind of who's after what. So on this, he probably could have flipped and like bought this card and like bent me over the coals and totally made me pay more. And he could have pocketed, you know, five figures probably just out of his own pocket, but he didn't. He actually connected me straight to the buyer or sorry, the seller didn't take any fees out of the middle. And, you know, he continues on his way. And I just, I've always thought he was just a great representation of how I think it should be done. And he's got a killer Dr. J collection. He's got tons of like Michael Jordan, LeBron exquisite stuff. He's got amazing stuff as well. It's not just a flipper, but you know, the way that he kind of treats the hobby to me is like how it should be done. I love it it's easy to recognize people who help you out, but then, you know, they, they see the hobby as a long game, not short term yeah. or transactional. So I'm familiar with the page and the account and the person, but I'll certainly be checking them out. Um, Josh, this was fun, man. Uh, love exploring kind of collector driven topics with you. Congratulations on your 08 exquisite limited logos, LeBron. It's a banger. I'm sure you'll be hopefully posting more LeBron soon. And you know that the next LeBron number two on your list is going to be popping up. So you're going to have to figure out how to get it. It's the way it goes, man. Are you going to national? Um, I'm highly unlikely at this point, but there's still a sliver of hope. So yeah, I'm, this is a, I'm, I'm announced. Josh just asked me and I'm being completely transparent on the pod. Maybe not happening this year, unfortunately, but I know you're going right. Yeah. And if there's any way that I can help get you there, let me know. Because the, the national for me, as you know, is uh, not about buying the cards that I want or selling. It's really about like meeting up with people that, you know, we're friends with in the hobby and, and having that the fun at the shows. So if we can get you there, let me know. I'll pull some strings for you. I don't really know that many people, but I'll do my best. I, yeah, I, I, and it's that type of response that I get from people. And it makes me feel so bad that I'm not going to be there <laughs> or maybe not going to be there. But we'll have to let you know. Maybe, it, maybe it's like a phone call with a family member that's like keeping you from going. I don't want to put any pressure on your, you know, your spouse <laughs> or your child, but if they're the ones holding you back, I'm a phone call away. 
This is a true friend in the hobby right here. <laughs> <laughs> like begging wives to let their let their husbands go to national with them. That's I mean that's how it is, right? We're kids. This is like our Disneyland. One hundred percent. Josh, thanks so much. Check out Cardboard Chronicles. Check out the crossover card ladder. All of those things. I'll plug your stuff for you. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, dude. Thanks, man. Awesome. Take care, brother. Always insightful. Always enjoy spending a little bit of time talking cards with Josh. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on that YouTube channel. You will not want to miss out on next episode and future episodes to come. And if you got a little time squeezing the one that started this conversation, would appreciate that. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll be back next week. More SSP for you. Always. Peace out. Peace out.